Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Taken aback. Oh my gosh, why is that? So much gusto in your hello <laughs> today. Um, it was gusto filled. Yeah, well this is our second round of Brimming doing... with gusto. Well, I thought it was filmed... Uh, fil- now is brimming more than filled to the brim? Or is it the same? basically the same thing? I don't know. Does okay. brimming mean it's overflowing, or I guess the, I don't think so. I think it means you're right there on the brim. Is, is brimming like that thing where it looks like it's like oh, almost yeah. a bubble on top? Like maybe you, you know, like if you move, and yeah, you have to lean forward to take a drink of the exactly. beer before you pick it up. Exactly, because no question, your it's, hands it's are shaking. In my mind, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paul Newman in the verdict. Yes, or I believe. Uh, I believe Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas. Really, any uh, alcoholic movie, you're going to find uh, the shaking hands. The brew shakes, as I like to call them. Um, okay. What are they called? The brew shakes. I've never heard I that. heard it on The Simpsons once where uh, <laughs> uh, Lisa like missed a ride to school, and so she, uh, she, looks, at, she looks at the time and says, like, says, oh, it's like 1130. Uh, that's about the time Dad gets the brew shakes, and so she goes to Mo, uh, Moe's to look for him. <laughs> so made me laugh. And it's also kind of sad. But uh, but anyway, uh, special th- special thanks to, uh, of course, friend of the show, Josh Fadum, yeah, for being on last week. It was a lot of fun. It was. Um, not to mention, I uh, <laughs> I enjoy. I sometimes really enjoy your iTunes uh, show descriptions, <laughs> especially because it's it's only there that I really that I that I really understand what you thought about the show. <laughs> so. Um, you can, you can speak volumes uh, to me and just say like, say like, Oh no, the show was great. It was lots of fun. And then in the descriptions, like, I don't know what the hell is going on. Damn it. My co-host is an asshole <laughs> or something like everything that. Personally. Oh yes, I do. Um, can I tell a story about you that you might want to, that you told me that you might want to cut out that I think, but I think sums up your character. It's about you as a young boy playing basketball. No, we're not going to tell that story. I can't tell that story. No. Uh, it's... I'll tell the story. You okay, don't get tell, to tell the tell story. Okay, tell the story because people, you will, everything will click into place about the way that Tyler is, the way that Tyler thinks of the world after you hear this story. Yeah, <laughs> and all of, all of a sudden my horrible narcissism <laughs> and self-centeredness, it will all fall into place and you realize, wow, he's always been like this. <laughs> so thanks for bringing this up, David. Uh, yeah, so uh, my parents put me on a basketball team for two years, two horrible years they're not full years. It's a season. It's a, it's two a few, seasons. It's a few months. Uh, that's how about this? Let's let's call that a few months. Uh, okay, so that's I'll go four and a half months more than I would have liked to play basketball. Right. Um, it was really uh, quite terrible, and I was ve- I was very bad. I made one basket over the course of my entire basketball you know career. What's crazy about playing basketball as a as a young kid? I didn't like what's it. Either. I only played about two years. Is that uh, you wear like a tank top and shorts mm-hmm. and the basketball season is the coldest time of year. Hmm. Like, do you have memories of having to run from the car to the building where practice was or whatever, because you're wearing these flimsy like shorts and it's uh, in, in, in Southern Missouri, it's like 15 degrees outside. Well, they, uh, now of course, remember I, this was, uh, when I lived here in sunny California. Ah, okay. So, all right, tell the story. Then. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, I was very, I was very bad at it and I hated doing it. Um, I hated being in front of a crowd doing something I'm bad at. Uh, 
and it seems uh, reasonable. It seems very reasonable, doesn't it? And so uh, there is there is one game when we're we're doing particularly the the team itself was was doing very bad, but I was making a lot of mistakes, and I think a mistake that I had made caused the other team to get uh, to get the ball, and so. Uh, so I was very upset with myself for that right, mistake. This is during a game, not during practice. During a game. Yeah. So I was very upset with myself. And uh, sure enough, the fans of the other team are cheering because, hey, my team is now going to do something good because that kid messed something up. So it's not that Again, they... I, st- I think you're still, twenty year, almost 20 years later, not really thinking of this correctly. Yeah, not, not I'm putting one of the parents in the team. Okay, go ahead. No, I'm putting it in the. I'm trying to put okay. my perspective as a kid. Uh, this is what I was thinking. So they're cheering right after I made a mistake, uh-huh. and so I really feel like they're cheering how stupid I am, and they're <laughs> they're jeering, not cheering, Dave. Yeah. And um, and so I wound up. Oh, jeez. I wound up yelling "shut up" to the crowd, <laughs> and uh, got in. Got in horrible trouble with my dad afterwards for being such a bad sport, <laughs> and uh, I think I I think it was, sh- and I was I was very upset all of a sudden. And the thing was like, how about this? How about I'm now no sport at all? Problem <laughs> solved because I am a bad sport when I feel like someone's cheering against me, which is all the time, by the way. And so uh, so yes, thank you for bringing up that horrible story. But about- even though you now understand the error of your ways, that still is that is the window, that is the uh the 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 keystone yeah to Tyler's psyche yeah yeah that's all you need to know <laughs> and, you know and the thing is when you're an unathletic kid and uh, honestly when you're an overweight kid people do make fun of you like other kids do make fun of you i was lucky cuz i was it i was never very good at gym in gym or, mm-hmm. or you know at sport i did okay in little league but uh, i was sort of in the middle like is even though I was never good at any of the sports, there were always three or four kids who were just laughably terrible. Yeah. Maybe that's what you were. And they would always just take the heat off me. I was, uh, I would say this. I wasn't laughably terrible. Okay. Um, but I was, I was probably in the bottom three. Um, and I remember, I have a specific memory of like a bunch of us going on a field trip, uh, in, in my class. And, and one of the, one of the teachers that went along to chaperone was Mr. Clemenson, the gym teacher, who was a very uh, military-style type guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a nice enough guy, just very authoritative. And, um, and I remember on the bus ride, I was drawing a picture of Two-Face um, from Batman. And uh, I happened to be sitting near Mr. Clemenson. And it was such a weird... At the time, I didn't know why I showed him the picture. Uh-huh. I know now... But at the time, I said, like, hey, Mr. Clemens, look what I drew. And he goes, oh, that's very... Because I was very good at drawing, by the way. Um, uh-huh. And okay. he goes, that's very good, Tyler. I'm like, I'm like, thank you. Now, at the time, I don't really know why I showed it to him as opposed to a friend. Uh, and now I know why. Because it was me saying, look, I'm good at some things. <laughs> okay? I'm not just completely incompetent across the board. And look, if you look at this, you'll see why I'm so bad at your stuff. <laughs> and so um so that's the kid I was. So uh keep that in mind when you make your next iTunes comment. <laughs> um but, uh, or if you make a nice iTunes comment about any other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um 
Well, that's, I think that's not true, unless, of course, it's, you know, slash film or film spotting. But, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, uh, um, I'm joking about those two, by obviously. the way. Okay, one more story. Then we should just get into the topic. <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing we had planned for the top of the show maybe is uh, being pushed to the side in in terms in favor of our uh, basketball stories. <laughs> but I, I don't know this. Th- this kind of fits in uh, in a way. Okay. Um, well, I um, once. Okay, go ahead. Uh, during a basketball practice, I was on the I was on the church league. I don't know. Were you on a church? I don't know what sort of league. No, it was. it was just like some kind of community. Th- it wasn't okay. school related or anything. Well, this like was church related. I was I played for Holy Infant, my, mm-hmm. my Catholic church. At a practice at the the gym at the church, I punched one of my teammates in the face. <laughs> and I was not a, a kid who did stuff like that. But this yeah. kid was he was pri- just the tallest, most gawkiest kid on the team but no he oh gawky's not right because he was kind of a big kid okay but he was just awkward why did you punch him because not only was he awkward he was like uh he's like a like a really persistently energetic dog that won't get off you you know okay and so when he played defense he he would just like get behind you the whole time oh yeah yeah like I hated like, that kid. Like, touch you a little bit or whatever, but he was very awkward. He wasn't actually good at the sport. He just thought he was doing a good thing by being right. a dick, essentially. Yeah. and um, Just guarding you way too close. And he did. I mean, this was halfway in the season. He'd done this at every practice. Yeah. He, you know, it was completely ineffective, except for, unless his intention was to annoy the piss out of me, yeah. which is what happened, and eventually... Uh, he was. I, I think I, I didn't ha- have the ball, but I, I, I had my back to him, and he kept, like... Just sort of like touching my shoulders as he was like, yeah, yeah, uh, guarding me, and I just stopped and I turned around. <laughs> this kid's a full head at least taller than I am, yeah. And I just reached up and swung and I hit him right in the chin. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, my dad was watching the practice, and uh, one of the my friend Eric's dad was also watching the practice. And Eric's dad turned to my dad and said, "Man, I would have sworn Eric would be the first to hit that kid." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did your dad get mad at you and then secretly uh, congratulate you later? No, here's the thing. My uh, my dad was a very a very good dad, uh, but when it came to sports, he was a lot more permissive. Oh, okay. You know, I, I think that's where he was like, that, that's the only time he took on the boys will be boys attitude. Oh, okay. You know, sort of like, my dad was my, my little league coach for baseball. Okay. And um, if I said so much as hell, or if it, if I even said something sucks mm-hmm. at home, I was in trouble. Yeah. But during game or practice, yeah. Like if my dad would give me during a game and give me the signal to bunt, and I hated yeah. bunting, I'd go shit. And mm. Yeah. No. Uh, no repercussions because yeah. it was during uh, during baseball during league play. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, uh, I don't think I mentioned this, but I will briefly say I, I actually never got in a like a physical altercation. Uh, except, of course, with my brother, but that's what you do. But as far as, like, at school, I never actually got in a physical fight. I instead got suspended for convincing two other kids that they should fight. That's, <laughs> that that's a real thing that happened. Um, I got uh, in-school suspension for bringing a water gun on a field trip. Oh, you ba- you bastard. <laughs> um, this is pre-9-11, so, man, what what did that water gun look like? Um, yeah. So, okay, so you'd say we were pretty geeky kids. Yes. I mean, I don't know. My story was about punching someone in the face, so that's not that It's pretty geeky. badass. It's pretty badass. <laughs> Mine, um, my fight story is vaguely Machiavellian, uh, just I'm, I, like like a young Iago from Othello. Um, 
but uh, but the thing that got me uh, several and we'll, we'll take only a couple minutes on this. Uh, several weeks ago, uh, when the Social Network came out mm-hmm. on Entertainment Weekly, the cover had, of course, Jesse this is a semi regular segment of the podcast for new listeners called Tyler bitches about Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> You know what? Which is different I, from David Bitches about Entertainment Weekly, which is usually specifically about Stephen, Stephen King. King. <laughs> Absolutely. Or my my other thing that only happens once a year, but it just happened re- a recent issue. Okay. Do you remember? I don't, you haven't been a subscriber as long as I have, but you were. Right. I subscribed when we lived together, so you exactly. read these. Do you remember back when the power issue, the yearly power issue, was an interesting thing? Yeah. It was actually like here are the fifty people who actually have the power in the entertainment industry and, to influence what you see and read and hear and watch. And now it's and just, some of them now it's just, here's 50 pictures of people that you like to see pictures of. Yeah. Like at the time in the old power issue, there are people in there that you had not heard of. Yeah. Or, I mean, you and I might've heard of them because we're, we're movie geeks, but like the average Joe didn't know who this producer was yeah. or whatever. Whereas now yeah, a, it's a just Brad gray. Yeah. Oh, something yeah. like that. <laughs> It's perfect. I still am kind of shaky on Brad Gray, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So, but now it's just like Charlie Sheen and stuff. And it's like I guess he's he like does he's prolific. Yeah. You know, he's but like really Johnny Depp is the most powerful person in Hollywood. Really, how about the person who's signing Johnny Depp's checks? Exactly. But anyway, but yeah, um, yeah that, that's so Stephen King and the power issue are the main things that bug me about Entertainment Weekly. Okay. My, but uh, you've got a whole laundry list. Yeah, and you know what? I I uh, I had the opportunity to I let my subscription lapse because I the the magazine got me so angry, <laughs> uh, and then they said like, "Hey, you can renew for ten dollars a year." I'm like, "Yeah, I guess I should do that. That's yeah. e- that's that's cheap." And you know what? I, I regret it because now it's just like, "Oh, I'm so angry again," again you know, <laughs> all the time. But um, but anyway, so I I, I do want to say I have been a subscriber for uh, a decade yeah. about. Um, and then I was a subscriber earlier in high school, but I had a little. Yeah. I, I lapsed for a little bit uh, because I didn't have any money of my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I do want to say there are. There's a reason that I have been subscribing for a decade. I do really like the magazine overall. Yeah. I specifically like Ken Tucker and Gillian Flynn and, and yeah. the other people who do television reviews. I kind of like Lisa Schwartzbaum's uh, movie reviews. I'm, I'm not a fan of Owen Owen Gleiberman. That's, <laughs> That's for something off air. Reception to uh, yeah. reception uh, reference to something else. Yeah. Um Lisa Schwartzbaum I think is a good writer, but I disagree with her more often than not. That's probably true, but I do actually like her writing. Yes, I agree with uh, with you. Um so on the cover, you got Andrew Garfield, you got Justin Timberlake, you got Jesse Eisenberg, the stars of uh-huh. the social network, a film that to my knowledge you still have not seen, correct? And uh, no, but it's not I want to make it clear that it's not like Kick ass! I'm not right. You just haven't gotten. You're you're very busy. Busy and you know I've taken a lot of trips yeah. uh, over the past few months. I, I don't really have a lot in the way of disposable income. Yeah. Plus, I might be getting a dog, and I kind of have to buy some uh, some supplies and stuff. And, exactly. And, uh, I have to I have to buy a gate yeah. to keep the dog separate from my cat. And like padded suits because you're getting a pit bull. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I am likely getting a pit bull, but it's going to be the. It, this particular pit bull is the friendliest, sweetest boy in the world. <laughs> I've, I've already fallen in love with this dog, and I have not actually met him face to face. It's a good looking dog. Yeah. There's a there's an, a YouTube video of it, which is strange. But um, anyway, so and I realize this is just me being too maybe oversensitive, but like on the cover, it's got those the the three stars of Social Network, and it says the sexiest geeks alive. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I understand that because they are portraying computer programmers and and all of that 
um, who, though they are rich, are still, you know, they still write, co- they've still written code uh-huh. and such. So they are essentially geeks. I understand that. And so that's why, that's why the label was applied to these three actors. But the thing that bothers, the thing that bothers me is just like, what? You, I'm a, I'm an actual geek. I tried to avoid the word for a long time because it has such a negative connotation. But when the time, you know, when the chips for are the down, past ten years, it hasn't had a negative connotation. I think it still kind of does. I don't know. Um, and that, but that's the thing is you're you're in a you're in a Comic Con mindset where you you've taken the word geek back. But there, <laughs> but you know what? No, but I mean, look, I mean, uh, I mean, even things like CSI is about like let's make the heroes the. Science geeks. Yeah, but in doing so, it also, through the lighting, music, and casting, tries to make them look as badass as possible. Yeah, but uh, th- that's again, that's the beginning of it. But no. I mean, look at the inexplicable success of The Big Bang Theory, that that sitcom, which I've only seen one episode of, so maybe I shouldn't judge. But but even then, like like that's the. But I'll quote my my friend Quinn. Uh, I think I can't remember if he said this on Twitter or just in person mm-hmm. that. Uh, the Big Bang Theory is essentially a minstrel show with Hollywood actors doing nerd face. Yeah, that's a gr- that's a great way of looking at it because when I think of like a true portrayal of like a geek, mm-hmm. I think of Steve Buscemi in Ghost World. I think of the characters in uh, American Splendor, mm-hmm. like actual geeks, actual nerds who. I think of the real people in the documentary The King of Kong, <laughs> which I still haven't watched. It's, it's really been, it's been in my oh, watch instantly for a long so time, good. but. Uh, but I'm I'm very excited to watch it. Uh, except at the same time, it's just like ah, I I know it's going to be so awkward. I'm just not sure <laughs> if I'm ready for this right now. But um, but anyway, so the thing that bothers me is that it took me a long time to recognize that yes, I'm a geek. This is what I am. It's fine. It's mm. not a big deal. And in many ways, as you mentioned, it is. It can be viewed as a positive term. But okay, I feel as though now Hollywood, much in the way they've been kind of co-opting Comic-Con and trying to use it uh, for their own purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like now they're trying to even take the word geek and be like, be like, oh, it's like, really? Because I understand, again, I understand that they're using it because of the Facebook thing and these characters, not necessarily the actors who play them. But nonetheless, you have a picture of three, you know, good-looking movie star guys with the word geek in front of them. And it's mm-hmm. like, Justin Timberlake is not a geek. He is an international superstar. Who but is if he ver- hadn't been famous, he would be... Uh, if he weren't famous, mm-hmm. Justin Timberlake would not likely not have been popular in high school. He would have been... If Pardon? But he was he was famous like since he was a kid, right? Yeah, was, so, but okay. he would have been called a drama fag. I'd, I'd say that... Yeah. Not endorsing that at all, but that's yeah, that's what he would have been called. That's the camp he would have fallen into. That's and, true. And Jesse Eisenberg is not traditionally attractive, and Andrew Garfield I don't really think is attractive at all. He kind of looks like he's been beat up a little bit <laughs> by Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> um, no, it's really not the other two I have that much of a problem with because Jesse Eisenberg has been playing convincing geeks for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is. It really is just Justin Timberlake. Now, don't get me wrong; he's great in the Social Network, and I think he's a very good musician. I think he has a really good sense of humor about himself. And and you know, ten years ago, I would have been like, blah, Justin Timberlake, blah blah blah. But he has really shown himself to be very talented in a lot of areas. But 
in spite of maybe his interests and such, you know, geeks, uh, not to imply that they are unsuccessful with women, but they are not, like, Justin Timberlake could go into any place and get probably almost any woman he wanted. And so just to, it's almost like, not true. what was that? I hope that's not true. I hope it's not true, that's but. kind of, it's kind of a, uh, a generalization about, about women. Um. Okay. Fair enough. Well. It, okay. Uh, Jessica Alba could also go into any place and get any guy she wanted. Uh, see, not me. I think it's more of a discussion. I think it's more about the nature of celebrity as as opposed to any okay. any specific gender. But anyway. But also the a certain kind of celebrity because J.K. Simmons could not walk into any place <laughs> and get whoever he wanted. Um. And even though he is uh, the face of uh, that insurance company now, I don't remember what it yeah. is. But. Uh, but anyway, so it just. I don't know, it instinctively bothered me that it's just like, no, like, well, now, if you're a geek, what am I now? Like, if that's, uh, the joke I made at the time is like, so, like, if you're a geek, I guess that makes me, like, uh, like a Nazi sympathizer, or, I mean, it's just, <laughs> but, because I don't look, I don't look like him, I don't sound no, like you, him. What I'm saying is there's currency in geekdom now. Mm-hmm. You can be cool, your geekiness can make you cool. As long as you're not too socially awkward, which, 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 at, like actual geeks usually are a little bit, and I include myself in this. You know, I mean, listen to how I've been talking. You know, <laughs> this can be off-putting um, <laughs> to people. You know, I managed to trick someone into loving me, and uh, but like, it's I don't know. It's it's the kind of thing where yeah, and, geek- and you're you're on a thin ice with that too. No, qu- <laughs> kicking out of the room for typing too loud. Clicking the mouse too loud, thank you very much. And that's not what happened. Um, and I apologize profusely yeah, because of my uh, own uh, that's what I saw. neurosis. But but it's one of those things where it's just, you're right, like, geekiness can be provided it lines up with already predetermined ideas of cool, which is, it, here's the thing, like, uh, really overweight geeks are not going to be cool. Geeks that look like Joseph Gordon-Levitt or, like, or like a Jesse Eisenberg, who is a, who is a good-looking guy, mm-hmm. like they can be cool. We'll allow you to be cool. You know what I, I mean? Like it's like there is a way to be like like a very hip kind of geek where you dress like in this. It's like oh well, this is kind of a kind of a strange way of dressing, but it's not an actual strange way of dressing. You know, it's not like the unappe- there there are two kinds of geeks: the kind that are very acceptable and the kind that absolutely are not. Well, there's actually like like things that people that people tend to be geeky about mm-hmm. anime heavy metal that sort of thing okay. there's actually a million different ki- times kinds well, of yeah. geeks <laughs> yeah fair enough yes <laughs> but even but yeah and 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 also there are things that are cool to be geeky about you know um like i think yeah. as we mentioned com- the co- comic books and comic con are gaining uh respectability as far as uh society goes it's now viewed as a kind of an acceptable thing, even and whereas five years ago it was viewed as like you know fat kids with pimples and inhalers, you know, <laughs> and now it's viewed as just like oh well, you know, a lot of people go to that now and and all that. So, um, but it's just one of those things. It's it just bothers me that the word that I spent a long time running from and then finally recognize, you know what, this is what I am. And just when I'm making my peace with that, the word gets applied to someone that I could never possibly be, <laughs> and and thus now it's like, well, n- now I'm just a loser. I just think I think you just need to trade on it. You need. How to, on earth can I do that? You need to. 
Say it loud. You're a geek and you're proud. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing is now people can be like, you're not a geek. Look, he's a geek. To and point at someone who's a lot more hips, uh, a lot more like attractive and dresses a lot better than I do, but Tyler, because he happen, you, happens Tyler, to have a certain. Very, you're very attractive. You're a very good-looking man. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, David. You're not the core audience here, but um, <laughs> but what I mean is like someone who is more conventionally uh, attractive, and but because I, they happen but to once be. Once again, I when I think conventionally attractive, I think Josh Dumal. I don't think Justin Timberlake. I think the guy is fit. He dresses well and he can dance and sing, mm-hmm. and those are all sort of. If he didn't have those things, he would not be an exceptionally desirable guy. Mm-hmm. Just from a purely physical attributes, I don't think that Justin Timberlake has just a, a natural attractiveness to him. You're saying you don't think he does, or you do? No, I don't I'm think you don't think. Hmm. I'm just saying if you didn't. Completely out of context of this is Justin Timberlake. If you just saw a picture of the guy's face, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, maybe on uh, on the yearbook staff in high school. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I don't know. It's uh, th- And this is where I, I it's like, yeah, I think he's a I think he's probably a good looking guy. But uh, email us or you can uh, start a discussion on the forum. But the yeah, reason is I- Justin Timberlake naturally attractive. Yes. Or do his yeah. talents. And abilities make him more attractive. Indeed. I cannot- kind of like how my girlfriend insists that Jack White from the White Stripes is an attractive man. Okay. I think and- if, he, if he didn't play guitar for the White Stripes, he didn't play guitar so well, yeah. no one, he would not be a prize. <laughs> He's a weird looking guy. I, um, I guess he's, kind, he's very pale. But yeah, he, yeah, he's very, yeah. That's all right. Anyway, so this movie... Social network, which is what, okay, was the basis for yeah 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 uh, this whole argument yeah uh, which is as much as you and I have argued in in a year um, yeah directed by David Fincher indeed David Fincher also directed a film called Fight Club indeed he did which you and I saw together along with a bunch of other uh, idiots <laughs> drama fags if you will <laughs> they were sorry to use the term but uh, that's the term it's a, it's a callback yeah um uh and. I hated it from the word go. Yeah. You liked it. I did like it, yes. You now don't. I I or I you don't. Now like it less. I like it less. David, what was I thinking? And let's get into it, shall we? We are into the topic. <laughs> I cannot believe I actually had the audacity to uh to say like, "Hey, let's try and keep the top of the show short." Meanwhile, it's the longest it's been in a long time. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry everybody. Well, that's kind of my fault for talking about uh, youth basketball for 12 minutes. <laughs> hey, once you get David and I started on youth basketball, there's no <laughs> telling where we're going to go. Basketball is my least favorite of the four major sports. Football is my favorite. Uh, my, my least favorite. Well, here's the thing. This uh, might, what do you consider the four? The, well, the four major sports are baseball, football, hockey, and basketball. What about soccer? I mean, I'm sorry, to America. Oh, okay, and, yeah, and, yeah. Yes, I, sh- I, should, I should qualify that because we have a lot of international listeners. Okay. In America, the four major professional sports are... Uh, Baseball, football, hockey, and basketball. Mm-hmm. For most of my life, I was indifferent to basketball. Okay. And then I moved... I'm going to piss people off here. Then I moved to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. where they have these things called Laker fans. Yeah. And now I hate basketball. Because Why? I hate Lakers fans. Most of them. I'm sure that there are plenty of you out there, and if you're objecting to this, you probably, you might very may very well be one of them who are deserved, devoted Lakers fans. Mm-hmm. 
but then there are the people who know know more about the Lakers than they do about whoever's on the cover of Us Weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it, it's just uh, fun to be into a team that wins a lot, I guess, yeah. and um, makes them feel a part of a city that they're not really a part of. Yeah. You know? uh, I, uh, well, I mean, we lived in Chicago for a while, and that happened all the time. Like there, were, I mean, people would people that lived there would make fun of the Cubs or the White Sox or the or the Blackhawks and then if they would if they were doing well at all all of a sudden I've I've been a fan for forever you yeah. know um so I think Chicago is is very infamous for that as well well I've always uh I was raised to hate both the Cubs and, well, and the Blackhawks yeah, yeah. there's that yes um cuz I'm from St. Louis indeed um but anyway that's not the point I, I yeah. just wanted to get that out of the way I, I don't like the name of the Philadelphia Phillies I just wanted to put that out oh, there I do because it's, it's like calling your team the California Californians. No, but a filly is a horse. Is that, Are they named after horses? Let's assume they are. Okay, fair or enough. Maybe it's a, double, it's a clever double entendre. So it's a sexual thing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. David, how did you... Because uh, anyway. you, you were very passionate about the topic, which is, as I mentioned, what was I thinking? Yes. Um, how, did you get, how did you get there? Maybe some other... Maybe we'll do a supplement where I delve really deep into why... As a person who doesn't even care about basketball, Lakers fans annoy me so, so much. Absolutely. Um, But I do think it has a lot to do with the way that people who are not from Los Angeles uh, co-op the city and make it their own. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that as someone who's not from Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, There's a a lack of authenticity that is personified by most uh, non-native Angelino Lakers fans. Hmm. it it really bothers me. I've heard people say I've heard actual sports fans say the same thing about people's uh, attitude about uh, the New York Yankees. Um okay. in in baseball that uh it's just kind of it's you know, it's an establishment mm-hmm. that uh oh boy, this is uh oh, I'm a Yankees fan now cuz I live here in New York and I guess this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Right. So, anyway, I'm sorry. Go on. <sighs> anyway, we've talked about everything except movies today. Now we <laughs> talked about geekdom, I guess. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yes, what was I thinking? Uh, this started as I we were talking. I think off mic last week with Josh when he was here. Mm-hmm. Josh Fadum, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah. Uh, and I mentioned that I recently caught some of the People versus Larry Flint. Yeah. On Showtime, directed by Milos Forman. Milos Forman. Yeah, we. Yeah, that's right. We were talking. About, Josh and I were talking about Milos Forman. Um, we we're talking about the Fireman's Ball, which is a great movie. Mm. Um. And yeah, People vs. Larry Flint came up, and I liked that movie when it came out when I was about fifteen. Mm-hmm. And I want to make it—I want to make this distinction. I was fifteen, yeah, which means I was not. This isn't like Willow, a movie that I <laughs> loved when I was a kid, and then right. once I knew about movies, watched and realized was terrible. At fifteen, I had already—I was already someone who took film seriously. You know, I mm-hmm. didn't have necessarily the vocabulary or the sophistication as a viewer that i do now and maybe that plays into this but i did try to differentiate between good and bad films and i thought Mm -hmm. the people versus larry flint was a good film watched a little bit of it a couple weeks ago on showtime and it is just flagrantly not good (laughs) okay It, it is a really bad movie uh and mostly because it's the most ham fisted script Maybe you can imagine. When was the last time you watched it? It has been, uh, admittedly, quite a while. Um, but let me let me put this out there because I, I certainly have not am not familiar enough with it and did not like it enough 
when I saw it to defend it now. But I will I will put this out there. Larry Flint, as a as a man, as a uh-huh. person, said kind of ham-fisted things and really put himself out there as the poster boy for the, you know for non-censorship and all these other things. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, to a certain extent, I could understand that because that's the nature of the character. You know, um, is it is it a function of that or is it even deeper than that? No, it's it's not just the char- the the movie takes that okay. Uh, takes that tack too that he is some sort of crusader in yeah. some sort of I, I don't know I, I don't know if it wants us to believe that he started Hustler out of I mean he does this whole thing there's a speech that he gives which I liked it was a highlight of the movie for me at the time about mm. why like he doesn't read Playboy because Playboy is elitist or something mm-hmm. and it just it reads now just so schlocky Okay. Uh, you know, as if as if I'm supposed to, and maybe it's because I know more about Larry Flint now, but I'm supposed to believe that he started Hustler out of a sense of like patriotism and <laughs> uh, egalitarianism, egalitarianism for the common man. It's uh, it's a movie that buys into its own mm-hmm. uh, bullshit way too much, and it's just a, and I can I can take movies. I mean. Oliver Stone's JFK is a movie that I like. Yeah. Although, I don't know, maybe I should rewatch it and it would end up on this list. Um, I like JFK, but I also think that the... But the, what I'm saying is that's also a movie that sort of buys into its own hype, but it's yeah. well-made, mm-hmm. so I buy into it as well. Well-made, well-written, and of course, because of the nature of what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean... The the subject of the people versus Larry Flint. I mean, it's a first, you know, it's a free speech issue, and so it's very important. But the specifics about it, it's just like uh, it's about this guy that I don't think I would ever want to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, putting out a magazine that I haven't read and probably would be kind of I don't know, just the attitude uh, that Larry Flint takes. Uh, as opposed to something like a Hugh Hefner, who I don't think I would get along with either. But at the very least, like Playboy. He says it's elitist, but for, but like I've actually read like some interesting articles. Yeah, and it's like this is a really there's a lot of aspects to this magazine. It is it's kind of I mean, classic. I, I know you said you never read Hustler, and I'm not yeah. afraid to admit that I have read Hustler. Okay, they have long, in depth articles too, mm. but they're not. Are they written by Stephen King? They're not as no, they're not as um, they're not very urbane. They tend mm. to be. Hustler is a like a uh, almost militantly libertarian. Oh, okay. Magazine, and uh, so that's what most of their articles are about. Okay. Which, um, I mean, libertarians are a big party, and some of them are very intelligent. Most of them just sound like they're like crying babies to me. <laughs> <laughs> they want to be selfish, like a baby, and have things their way, like a baby. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I guess we shouldn't be too worried about it, angering anybody. We don't have any libertarian listeners. I'm sure we have plenty, and I'm not. I'm not against liber- libertarianism as a, as a philosophy. I'm just yeah. saying that, you know, just like, uh, you know, uh, any sort of rally that uh, for mm. a cause that I believe in also draws a bunch of, you know, fucking morons who want to <laughs> do their own cause or just want to get it on the street and scream. I guess you there's know? that. Yeah. Any, any movement or party is going to draw in at its fringes. Uh, a bunch of dumbasses. Fair enough. And yeah, that's that's the particular brand of dumbass that is drawn to libertarianism. You just hope that they don't get the primary nominations. But anyway, 
Um, and, and by the way, I, it occurred to me that I literally probably just sounded like one of those guys, just like it's like, hey, uh, you know, Playboy uh, articles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I never wanted to seem like that. But what I will say is just like what I know about both pu- publications. I'm probably more on board with. Uh, the philosophy behind Playboy, <laughs> whereas I'm not sure, regardless of what the film has to say, I'm not sure how much philosophy is behind Hustler, except just like, ah, finally a magazine for, tr- like, specifically for, like, angry, lonely, possibly racist truckers, you know, <laughs> seems to be the general attitude, uh, who uh, don't really, aren't into, like, book learning. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so, it's interesting, because I remember at the time, being and I think this is going to be a common thread in the films that you and I go back and forth about is at the time you're you know you're a little younger this is going to sound kind of cynical you haven't really lived life and so you run across this this a philosophy or a way of of expressing a philosophy and you haven't heard it before mm-hmm. and it to you is astounding and you're like wow this is amazing and then as you get older, you realize this has been around a long time, and actually this film is is a pretty ham-fisted or clunky way of expressing yeah, it. Yeah, and, and un-nuanced. Yeah, That's yeah. the thing, is that when you're a 15-year-old free thinker, mm-hmm. um, you, haven't, you don't have enough free thinking under your belt yet to mm-hmm. really get the nuance. That's why I was drawn to punk rock, because yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty simplistic way of, uh, of, of looking at things, and that, uh, yeah... It's funny, yeah, I hadn't considered that, but yeah, People vs. Larry Flint fits into that, Fight Club fits into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another movie that, it, um, speaking of JFK, an Oliver Stone movie that I loved when I was younger, Natural Born Killers, mm-hmm. which I now don't think is a very good movie at all. And that's one that I didn't like first, and you came to uh, realize uh, how right I was. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, that, that's that's another one that yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even know what that, uh, like, I guess the point of that movie is that... Uh, uh, American, the American consumer is stupid and will, uh, and will sort of flock to the basest form of entertainment. Yes, I think it's that, and just the idea of you know, uh, if it was it, uh, if it bleeds, it leads. Like violence and destruction, yeah. all the most sensationalistic things, and uh, the media might actually be uh, vaguely responsible for it. But it's like this has been, this is not new. Mm-hmm. You know, and I understand that maybe you're making the argument that it's getting worse, but I mean, what is Natural Born Killers saying that Network didn't say 20 years before? Right. You Except know. that uh, Natural Born Killers falls into the trap of being the thing that it oh absolutely it hates because it's a it's a hor- horrifically bloody and brutal movie, but not presented in a way like. Um, What's a what's a violent movie where the violence is not attractive? History straw of violence. violence. What's that? History of violence. Straw dogs. Yeah, it's presented in a way that's gleeful and fun to watch. Yeah, it's very visceral, and and maybe that's and maybe that's his intention. Is yeah, to I know, I definitely see the it's thing his intention, that he's, but I yeah. think his, I think his, I think Oliver Stone approached that film from an unnuanced point of view, which is something that he has done time and time again. Yes, he has. Even even in his good films, mm-hmm. you know, he's not. Uh, um, he's never been. You know, a monument to subtlety. Yeah, he's not really interested in whispering things, <laughs> um, which I—that's I, I, certainly an approach. Is you have a strong opinion on something, and damn it, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to hem and haw. There's still a lot of punk rock I like. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and I still like JFK, and I like Platoon, and I like Born on the Fourth of July and Wall Street. 
Um, you know, but uh, but yeah, it's and I kind of liked W. I didn't see it, but um, but yeah. Uh, so this so this started with uh, People versus Larry Flint, and you and it got you started on uh, other movies that you thought like, oh, geez, what was I thinking at the time? Um, well, what are some of the other ones? I'll, I'll say I've got my list here, but I'll go with you. Another right one that. Um, same way as People vs. Larry Flynn, I just caught it on cable one night. Mm-hmm. And I had heard people say, you know, that movie sucks. But yeah. I hadn't seen it since it was new. Uh, it's um, Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream, okay. Um, you and the, I are on the same page on this one. Yeah, did you, you liked it at first? Because I liked it um, a lot. Oh, you know what, actually, I... I didn't like it a lot. I res- I really liked Ellen Burstyn, and I liked a lot of the acting. Um, and the editing certainly was interesting, but it was not a. It certainly wasn't a pleasant experience. Not that it's supposed to be, but I was just like, yeah, I've watched it once. I don't want to watch it again. Uh, and uh, ugh, no, thank you. Um. Well, it, it reminds me of another another movie that's even more recent that I am almost embarrassed to say that I that I liked because mm-hmm. I should have known better by that age, and that's uh, Captain Hardwick's 13. 13, okay. Um, it, both movies are, if you watch them now, they're essentially after-school special slash Lifetime original movie type mm-hmm. things or just made-for-TV movies with that are made a little more artfully. Yeah. You know, Matthew Liebetik's cinematography in Requiem for a Dream is still very compelling, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't often... It, I, I now realize that it doesn't always uh, serve the story in the best way. It just yeah. looks cool. Um, but, yeah, they're essentially made-for-TV movies that uh, are presented with uh, more artful aesthetics and with without the strictures of being on TV. They can, they yeah. can say these awful words <laughs> and, um, and show... Uh, Awful acts, you know. I'm thinking of Jennifer, where Jennifer Connelly ends up. Uh, yeah, it's not something that you could show on TV. And the thing is, uh, <laughs> where Je- the, the you know the scene I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Um, the ass to ass scene. Yes. It, um, it, I remember watching it at the time, being like, "Oh, that is so awful." Now it's kind of funny. It's so stupid. Okay. It's funny because it's so it's, it's so ludicrous. You, you disagree? You still like this movie more than I do? Cause I have oh, co- no. I, you know what? I, I, I've i spent many years uh, saying that, like, that the acting is some... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the acting is something I like, and the editing is impressive, but I find myself wondering if the if the editing is detracting from the story and the theme that they're trying to, to tell, uh-huh. because if you look at... It, it just... Nothing looks... Nothing makes drugs look more awesome than this kick-ass editing that you're like man this is great Uh um but with that scene i know what you're talking about because it's the kind of scene that if they could have they would have had on dragnet (laughs) where where literally it's just uh i was scrounging for the for the name of the show Uh where it's just like if you do drugs you're gonna wind up ass to ass uh (laughs) with another woman in front of a bunch of uh leering and cheering men Uh uh-huh that's what happens. So you stay away from that marijuana cigarette, son. <laughs> you know, uh, you're going to wind up with an infected arm that needs to get cut off. It's just like so many, uh, you know, and you, old woman, don't think you're exempt. You know, it oh. just, although her performance yeah. really, I, I'm a big fan of Ellen Burstyn. I think she's doing the best she can. I still think it's, yeah, uh, I think it's, yeah, That that's the worst is the, the, the thing that also seemed clever at the time, the mm-hmm. like, 
you know, it's not just the kids, the old people are, yeah. you know. Um, and it reminds me, <laughs> I think this might be the fourth episode in a row in which I've brought up train spotting. Okay. But, um, it's, I, I did just think of it that there's a, a way to do it with, in which it's still as viscerally appealing, but sticks to its guns a lot more. But train spotting had the whole Ellen Burson story in one line of narration, mm-hmm. which is, uh, Renton listing the things that he's going to need to kick heroin. Mm-hmm. He's like stacking, you know, ice cream, two tins of pornography, yeah. uh, one bo- one bucket for piss, one for shit, one for vomit. Mm-hmm. And then he says, and one bottle of Valium, which I procured for my mother, who is in her own more socially acceptable way, also a drug addict. <laughs> there you go. And yeah. that's the whole thing. That's all. It, and it's, that's Ellen Burstyn's entire, Ellen Burstyn's entire storyline, mm-hmm. uh, with the same <laughs> impact in one clause of a sentence. Yeah. A, a couple clauses. But, uh, uh, and it's and it's funny and it's more entertaining to me. But also, and and while like I said, I like her performance and I think that she manages to really craft a three dimensional character solely through the power of her acting. But when you look at it, and I think and I'll, I'll I think I'll use this to transition into uh, another film. But uh, that line from Train Spotting is an eye opening line. Uh huh. Where it's like, oh, geez. You know, and of course, you, when you're young, you're like, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but Requiem for a Dream, her story, and maybe it wasn't, tr- maybe they weren't trying to make a statement with her story, but it is a little safer because if they had shown, you know, uh, a mother who thinks herself uh, better than her son because her son goes and does this. And in the meantime, she's getting, I mean, she has several drinks a night, uh-huh. you know, to get through life. Then it turns in, then that actually is something that's like, oh, someone can watch them and be like, oh, geez. Eh, maybe I shouldn't be quite so judgmental of, you know, junkies and such. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas her story now is so, sp- is so very specific, but so unusual that like she's going to be on a show <laughs> and she needs to fit into this red dress for the show and just she's all, her character's already a little outlandish uh-huh. and well, pro- and most a little delusional is. what was that i don't know maybe it's because in the time since i've seen requiem for a dream um i went to college and i lived on my own in a city mm-hmm. and met a few drug addicts i'm not saying i was ever no living in that world or anything yeah. you know but uh th- even the drug addicts are outlandish it's not really yeah. like that yeah it really is um just a i don't know the characters like what they're doing the the consequences of their actions it all seems very it may be grittier and more gross but as far as the basic story points and the nature of what the characters are doing and how they're acting, it's kind of it's old hat. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the kind of thing you would see in the '60s. Um, but that idea of approaching um, approaching a subject that is not often approached, but doing it in the safest way possible, um, I will bring up a film that I l- I really loved at the time, and and it's and it's a movie that a lot of people even at the time really hated. Um, which is Crash, uh, the uh, Paul Haggis film. Um, and I loved it at the time. And there are, in, in all the movies on my list, there will be things that I can defend about them. But at the time, those were the only things I saw. And 
I didn't see some of the other things. And I think a lot of the acting in Crash is very good. And I think a lot of the editing is very good. The way it juggles characters is good. And the cinematography are, is very good. Cinematography is this very is, good. Well, yeah, I'm going to let you finish. The, the, for example, that scene where Matt Dillon gets Thandie Newton out of the car, it's very overwrought, but that yeah. doesn't stop it from being very effective. He gets a little handsy. Gets a little handsy with Thandie. <sighs> okay. <laughs> That that del- admittedly delightful line aside, that was before. That was actually that's oh, okay. that's when he stops her. I see. Um, this is when she's been in a, been in a car accident. Oh, that and one. He's okay. the one that's going to help her, and of course, and he yells, "I'm not going to hurt you." And it's of course it's like I said, incredibly overwrought, but it was very emotionally affecting to me. And scenes like that are what I remember. But a film like that, which deals with the very dicey issue of race so many people came away from including me so many people came away from saying like you know it really has some good points to make so i look at that and then i and then i thought more about the way people are racist you know and with with a few notable exceptions very few people are racist in the way that the characters are in that movie where they just say stuff it's usually small subtle ways Mm -hmm. and so if it's going to do if it's if it's not going to approach it in a way that actually in is, you know, convicting and, you know, indicting, then it's like, well, then why are you even bringing this up except to maybe make people feel good about the fact that, well, I guess white people are racist. But, you know, everyone kind of is, <laughs> you know, whereas you look at something else or, or you know, like uh, they come away going. Well, I might be a little bit uncomfortable if my daughter were dating a Mexican, but I'm not like these fe- these people. Yeah. Well, there's that, and whereas you go to a movie from you go to do the right thing, another mm-hmm. uh, ensemble cast film about race, and you come away from that movie angry. Yeah. You know, because it's just like you're you're furious at somebody, and then you're trying to think, why am I angry? Mm-hmm. You know, because. When it comes to a topic like this, you should be angry. Yeah. You know, and so, which is odd because I had seen Do the Right Thing before I saw Crash and I loved it. But I think having seen Crash, even though I liked it at the time, but then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, yeah, this really isn't. Seeing Crash and eventually recognizing its flaws made me so much more appreciate Do the Right Thing. Whereas when I first saw it, I thought, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, and so I think, I think for me, the 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 way in which the film was made as opposed to the way in which it was written uh was what made me love it but then the more i thought about it the more i'm like okay this is out well i um i never loved crash but i did I, the first time i saw it i did think it was okay yeah and i think maybe the reason a lot of these are like this is the difference between watching them in a theater and seeing them at home that that yeah i did see it in a theater and that made yeah, a difference yeah i saw i saw crash in a theater as well the first time and i i thought it was okay i mean it's definitely um uh it's definitely very um i don't want to go so far as to call it pretty because it's not like mm-hmm. the thin red line or something that's very lush right. but it is uh very appealingly photographed yeah and like you say edited it moves very nicely yeah um these aesthetic things that play a lot bigger when you know they're projected on the wall in front of you yeah uh take center stage maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. whereas um 
like crash i can't believe i didn't think this is a perfect example where i literally said to myself what was i thinking when i later watched it on dvd Mm -hmm. and the dialogue is is uh such cardboard yeah to me now it's uh there is no substance to it at all yeah there's no nuance between the different ways the characters speak to one another it's uh it's really really bad like like junior high dialogue it, it's the kind of thing. In in high school, I wrote a I wrote a uh, a screenplay. I'm sure I've mentioned it on here called The Model Citizen. It's about I, political, I read it back in high school. Yeah, and it's about political corruption, and it's a really good screenplay for a 16 or 17 year old. <laughs> I look back at it now, and I think, what was I thinking? Um, but that's but yeah, you're right. I've, I've yeah, watching it in that my in my mom's basement when I was. <laughs> home visiting because my brother had the dvd and i was like oh i haven't seen this in the since the theater yeah. and i couldn't even finish i was like what was i i literally i said like what was i thinking this yeah. is so dumb um i i've got a movie that i know that you oh you know what? actually i i just talked about crash what do you what do you have right now well i talked about a bunch but um i, I you know i i think i've still got more in the column so far today. okay but uh you know another I mean, Crash is kind of a. Uh, it has cops. It's kind of a. I'm just trying to do a segue here okay. into um, more genre stuff. There's two movies that I think at the time seemed very clever to me. Okay. Uh, that are genre like sort of cops and robbers type of films that I really liked at the time, and and now that I've maybe seen more, you know, of what came before within those genres, they are less impressive to me. Okay. And that would be uh, Suicide Kings and The Usual Suspects. Okay. These are both movies that I really liked at the time, and they both still have a lot to offer. Yes, I think the uh, the the car sequence in Suicide Kings, where they kidnap Christopher Walken, is still really well done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, th- you still really get a sense that this is not going quite as. I mean, it's obviously not going as planned, but yeah. that's that's palpable. Like things yeah. are going, things could get very bad very quickly, and. You're the added danger of being of driving at full speed through a tunnel yeah. and losing control of the car, and there are other car, cars around. It's a that's a great sequence, but overall the movie is not nearly as clever as I thought it was. And I think the the willingness to have because a film like Suicide Kings, honestly, when you look at like the cover and the nature of what the film is, you really expect it to be a very slick cool movie uh-huh. and the fact the the willingness of the filmmaker to make the characters actually all kind of inept uh-huh. um when these are supposed to be the people we're on board with uh-huh. um i can respect that um yeah. but at the same time i remember when i first watched it and dennis leary in his investigation to find his boss uh has a scene where uh he finds a a, a guy that's been like beaten on his wife and he delivers this monologue, and it's a fairly well-written monologue, and it's de- well-delivered, but it does not belong in the film. Like, it just, like, the action comes to a screeching halt. Yeah, there, because... there are moments that clearly someone, the screenwriter, like, had them in his mind beforehand. Yeah. Like, this would be a cool moment to put in a movie. Another yeah. one I'm thinking was where they're trying to, uh, the characters are trying to get the one, the girl to come up to the house, and they're all giving her different directions to how to get there, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone's arguing, and then, like, powder or whoever steps up and says like no you take this to this to this and like suddenly this guy where these guys have all been kind of inept losers suddenly this guy's the cool guy because someone thought that would be a cool moment to write yeah yeah you know it's odd that you bring up uh we'll get to the usual yeah uh, say the usual suspects 
well, don't just say it. Uh, spray it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I feel like this is one that's been talked about a lot, along with another Kevin Spacey movie that I'm sure will come up <laughs> in a bit. Um, but uh, it, it's just it doesn't hold up that well in repeat viewings. Um, once you kind of know what's going on, yeah. you know, what's up with Kaiser Soze, uh, it, it loses steam every time. It's good a second time. Once mm. you know, once you know what the twist is and you watch it a second time, it's fun mm. to like, to watch for those things, yeah. but it's really not a movie of much substance. That That's what I'll say is that stylistically it's great. I think it's directed very well. I think it's written very well. I think I, I respond to a lot of the characters. But it is, I would say, by its very definition, shallow. Mm-hmm. It it can't not be shallow because of what you discover the twist to be. Um, but I can still appreciate it purely from that level, uh, you know, from that point of view, because from that point of view, it's very good. Just mm-hmm. don't expect to come away with anything incredibly uh, deep. Um I will bring up, this is a, a film that so many, my hope, this isn't, this isn't a movie I liked, nor is it a movie you liked, but it's a movie that everyone our age recommended up and down. Speaking of powder, it's not powder, by the way. No. And that's, and it's Boondock Saints. Oh. My hope, and I think that because of the movie Overnight, and from what I hear, Boondock Saints 2, All Saints Day, um... Mm-hmm. My hope is that people our age have gone back, watched the movie, and said, what was I thinking? Because the very nature of that movie... And I remember, I think parts of it are actually kind of well-directed. You know what? Um, on a message board I read, people were talking about uh, musical tastes and, and uh, versus like tastes in music and movies and art. Mm-hmm. And someone said, I'll bet if you had never heard a pop song before in your life, Matchbox 20 would sound pretty fucking impressive. Right. And that's exactly how I feel about Boondock Saints. If you would were if you were if you're young, if you're in high school, you're not really exposed to the best that the crime genre. Yeah. Uh especially the the angsty crime drama yeah. has to offer. Boondock Saints will it's going to seem like it's tailor-made yeah. for your needs. And it's going to seem like a like just manna from heaven, but once you step outside just yeah. a little bit, do a little bit of research, it's it's the worst. It is it's probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm a little bit prone to hyperbole on this show. A little bit, yeah. More so on this show than in real life. That is true. I'm definitely a bit of a. I'm not myself on this show. You're a version of yourself. You're the worst self that you can be on this show. Yeah, I think I'm just not interested in people. Knowing who I am. Well, that's nice. But you're interested in uh, people knowing about all my childhood stories. Thanks for that. <laughs> sorry. Um, but, uh, but I mean, uh, and that sorry, sounds... to, to, before, to, before you get back to the Boondock okay. Saints. Uh, um, uh, on the film spotting review of the social network, they were talking about people creating personalities for themselves via social networking right. sites. If you follow me on Twitter... You don't, you don't know anything about me. I am so not that person. <laughs> no, not at all. You really, <laughs> I am. I am so petty on Twitter. Yeah, I enjoy the the Twitter, David, but I'm just like, oh, thank God, this guy doesn't actually exist. Um, I would have murdered you when we lived together. <laughs> but um, now I don't mean to. I don't mean to uh, to like be condescending 
to people our own age that might still like Boondock Saints. Um, but what I'll say is, like you, like you mentioned, you're older now. Go back and watch it again. Try, if you can, to uh, try to move past the nostalgia you might have. Mm-hmm. Watch that, and then watch, I'll say, anything by like Tw- Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Boondock Saints was clearly uh, influenced by Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, maybe even Jackie Brown a little bit. Um, go back and watch those and just really just meditate on how much better they are. <laughs> and now, and I said it, I remember I said it when um, uh, we had Mike Schmidt on the show a long time ago and we were talking about Overnight and, and a lot of people said like, oh man, Boondock Saints, it's, you know, it's like Pulp Fiction. It's like, well then watch Pulp Fiction. Watch okay. the one that is the better version. And uh, and then you don't have to settle for the cheap knockoff. Um, but that's one that uh, that I my hope is that listener go back and watch it, and then watch the stuff that it's similar to but worse than, and <laughs> uh, and then think what was I thinking? Well, you know what, this is gonna segue nicely for me. Um, a movie that I have not gone back to watch. Okay, the movie I saw when it first came out on VHS. Okay, it was probably maybe there were DVDs. This is like ninety eight or so. Okay, um, I liked it. And I haven't seen it since. Okay. But I, every time I think about it, I think, ooh, that happens in that movie. Like, this is probably not a good movie. Okay. It's Gus Van Sant's Good Will Hunting. Okay. I'm, I'm afraid to go back and watch it because I'm afraid that, like, every time I, th- I actually th- process what happens in the movie, I just am further convinced, like, that's not a good movie, is it? In your mind, do you consider it to be great? Like, w- without thinking back and be like, oh, that scene. But like before you started thinking about individual moments, did you consider the film to be really great? I don't know. I'm trying to remember how I felt about it. I mean, okay. I felt that it was, uh, a, it was a good movie, A, and B, it was a movie that my dad and I could both appreciate. Okay. As opposed to some of the other, you know, like, you know, uh, like Blue Velvet or something, which my my dad wouldn't have liked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even know if he ever saw it, but um, because because uh, I have gone so back. I, and... I think I think I thought of it as as a good movie in the same way that I think of Shawshank Redemption as a good movie. Okay, which it is. Shawshank Redemption is still a good movie. Yeah, I want to make it clear. I mentioned it, but it's not part of the topic for this show. It, yes, I yes. very much like the Shawshank Redemption. Indeed, um, it is not the the transcend uh, transcendent experience that some people have had, but it's still. You know, and it has one line that I have a problem with when he when he says, "After all, whoever really looks at a band's shoes, I do." <laughs> I think a lot of people do. Not all of us uh, uh, know Jesse Thorne and uh, Paul F. Tompkins. I do, but <laughs> not ever. You know, do we? I don't think we know either one of them. They're friends of the show. Indeed. Yeah. I feel like we, if we saw them on the street, they'd be like, "Hey, they might not remember our names." Admittedly. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so I guess true. it doesn't count. Um. But uh, yeah, Goodwill Hunting is. I would say it it is not a candidate for what was I thinking. Even if you went back and watched it tonight, really? it certainly isn't great. And I know that to a lot of people our age, because I was ninety seven, so a lot of us were we were in our teenage years, yeah. and and you watch this, and all of a sudden, like you know, how do you like them apples and all that kind of thing? Seems like uh, the coolest thing ever. Um, but I think if you rewatch it now, those scenes will shrink. Whereas the scenes of actual raw emotion, uh-huh. because there's no question that Matt Damon is one of the best actors of his generation. That's true. 
Yeah. And Ben Affleck's very good in it. Mini Dr- just a really great cast. Is Robin cast. Williams good in it? He is very good, okay. yes. Um, his, I think they actually, I think Entertainment Weekly just had a thing about Boston accents, and his is a little questionable, but you can't win them all. Um, but his... Well, you know what movie is not on this list for me that I still love, even though I know some people, I think including you, okay. don't care for it that much, but speaking of Robin Williams, is Dead Poet Society. I didn't like it when I first saw it, oh, so... I, I, I still love it. Okay. Really? Yeah. When's the last time you saw it? Uh, not not too long ago. Okay. But it is, I mean, it is Peter Weir. It is. It absolutely is. And uh, and I think he's a really great director. Um, but I think he brings a um, an authenticity, authenticity mm-hmm. and um, there's a weird sense of, like, heavy sorrow to Dead Poet Society that yeah. makes it not... It makes it more than just this sort of uplifting, sentimental movie that it is. Like, um, the the way that these characters are repressed by no. by the school and by their their the class not mm-hmm. not their classes at school, but this sort of upper class uh, moneyed people. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know what the word is that I'm trying to say. Aristocracy, but they're not really aristocracy. Right, they're, right. Not, they're not that far up, but they yeah. are. Upper middle class bourgeois. There you go. Um, and the the way that the that was oppressive to a teenage boy in the 1960s, and probably to a teenage girl too. But oh, this yeah. is a movie about boys. Uh, I feel like that's palpable. And, and the, I there's the 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 sense of wanting to wanting to break free, wanting the characters to break free in the in Dead Poets yeah. Society is not just a platitude of like we should all be free. You really do feel like the this is this is horrible. These are really smart really interesting kids who are being just uh tragically tamped down by their situation and by this school it's not because the the part that you respond to is the part that i respond to which is the kids themselves Uh and to the film's credit it allows the kids to be characters instead of merely fawning over this amazing he's definitely robin williams character is definitely the I wouldn't even necessarily say strictly the lead, but he's the most visible character. Yeah. But it really is just as much about their reaction and the way they process the information as it is about how he's putting it out there. His the way his character is written and the way he plays him is to me like, ugh, no, thank you, not for me. Uh-huh. But their response is very genuine, and you actually feel uh, invested in in how they react to what he's saying. So I'll give you that. You've got a stellar group. you got Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, Josh yeah. Charles. you got a stellar group of, group of kids yeah. there acting. Can I tell you about something that I misheard um, in Dead Poet Society and thought this was what the kid said okay. until maybe just a few years ago when okay. I rewatched it? Uh, there's a part where one of the characters says, uh, I'll try anything once. And the other character, like sort of joshing him, says, except sex. Except for for years, I thought the line, I thought the the, the exchange went like this: "I'll try anything once. Let's have sex." <laughs> wow, that's very funnier. That would be funnier. <laughs> that would be a funnier thing to say. It would be, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but you have to know those those rep- those repressed uh, males. Uh, he would not have said that. Um, I don't know. All male boarding schools. That kind of shit happens. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but maybe not quite as openly as "Let's have sex." <laughs> but I, th- I mean, he meant it as a joke yeah, in absolutely. my mind. Yeah, yeah. In this line that was never actually said, I know how he meant it. And <laughs> but literally, until I watched the movie a few years ago, I thought that was the line. 
I'll try anything once. Let's have sex. <laughs> my friend, my my friend Josh actually. Uh, I think I actually maybe I put this on Facebook or Twitter. I don't I don't recall. But um, it took me a long time to realize that uh, in Jurassic Park, when they're going to serve uh, Chilean sea bass, <laughs> that it's Chilean sea bass. And I <laughs> chili and sea. And that's the thing. I don't like sea bass, and I don't like chili. So I was just like, it doesn't seem like those two things should be served. <laughs> together also but this this Hammond is a bit of an eccentric he's an eccentric but i remember at the time being like because his whole thing is like i've spared no expense and it's like oh i've had our chef really whip up something special chili and sea bass (laughs) (laughs) like like really that's it doesn't seem like a fine dining kind of dish for me how have i known you for (laughs) like over 10 years and you've never told me that before that is the funniest thing ever (laughs) Chili and sea bass. Yeah. It's, <laughs> all right. Get your bowl of chili. <laughs> uh, and some, uh, you know, the, you dip the, the sea bass in the chili. I imagine, yeah. It's like okay. chunks of sea bass. <laughs> it's like fondue. It's <laughs> grabbing a chunk of sea bass and scooping it through some chili. Oh, I'm glad I could make you laugh with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. What else is on your list? Okay. Um, I'll bring up... Uh, I'll bring up just a couple, and then we'll we'll get to the one that uh, you mentioned, Kevin Space. We'll get to yeah, that in a minute. The patron saint of what were we thinking movies? <laughs> yeah, kinda. Um, although for me, Fight Club is the is the quintessential. What was I thinking? Because I bought into it just like everybody else. Um, but uh, there was a movie that I remember, and I know you don't like it, and I liked it for a long time. And there are still aspects to it that I do like. Uh, the General's Daughter. Uh-huh. You remember the General's Daughter, right? Starring John Travolta and Madeline yeah, Stowe I'll and various other. Uh, okay, I like uh, there are things I like about the movie. I like uh, the the soundtrack a lot. Great soundtrack. Um, I like the look of the movie. Yep. And I like the part where John Travolta says to the sheriff, "You should get some of those reflective sunglasses for you and the little one," referring yeah. to him and his deputy. Yes, that's my favorite line of the movie. Um, you're absolutely you're dead on about the music. I actually bought the soundtrack because it's su- such a unique use of music for mm-hmm. a movie like that. Um, and yes, it is uh, takes place in the hot, humid South, and you feel like it's hot and humid. Yeah. But um, do you remember that line? I do. It's it's really it's a great. Very funny line. And I believe uh, the sheriff was played by Daniel von Bargen, uh, that guy that you and I were talking about, who was uh, uh, Kruger. Right. Kruger on on, on uh, Seinfeld. Seinfeld, and he was the eye patch. Uh, Military school guy on yep. Malcolm in the Middle, and he was in Oh Brother Where Art Thou. And I believe he was in a film called The Lord of Illusions, playing uh, a very horrifying villain. But uh, see, that's one that I have not seen in forever either. That I also loved it at the time, liked at the time. Yeah, but that's the thing that that came out long enough ago. Yeah, that, that I could I could put it down as I was young. Yeah, you know, much like Event Horizon. Event Horizon. Oh yeah, I don't I don't want to revisit don't revisit it. But Lord of Illusions has, uh, am I wrong? It has Kevin J. O'Connor in it. It does. Right? I like him in pretty much everything. I do too. In For those a, who uh, don't know, he's the guy who pretends to be Daniel Plainview's brother in There Will Be Blood. Yeah, he's but he's actor. been in like a million things. Yeah, uh, and he's just—he's always—he's a very dependable actor, including a great movie that you have on VHS that I don't think has ever come out on DVD. Never called Candy Mountain. Candy Mountain, yes. Uh, that is an awesome movie. It's, With Kevin J. O'Connor is the lead, yeah, but it has Joe Strummer, it, it has David Johansson, it has yeah. Tom Waits, it has Doctor John, yeah, uh, it has Laurie Metcalf, yeah. But it's it's like most and it of has musicians. Harris, it has Harris Eulen in probably one of the best 
roles he's ever gotten because I know he doesn't get a lot of really great roles. But yeah, he's a, lot a good of, actor. A lot of great musicians and just a really wonderful movie. And but yeah, I don't think it's ever been released on DVD. So if you can find it on VHS, by all means, seek it out. I really enjoy it. Um, but the general's daughter, and I, and I think this is one that I can put down to youth again uh-huh. because. The General's Daughter is a thriller, but it deals with very dark issues such as rape and, you know, betrayal by your family and and things that thrillers don't usually deal with. Or at the very least, thrillers will often exploit those as just like, ah, she was raped and murdered. But they won't. But like this one, it was pretty graphic. Yes. And it really and I remember at the time being like really fascinated by that. Um not certainly not. I don't not fascinated like oh this is not very... like a bloodlust kind of way. Right, right. Yeah. But I remember just being like, man, they're really going for it. Like this mm-hmm. is really, you know, if they're going, if it's going to be about something, they want it to be about something. And I think that that might have been the first, uh, the first time I saw a a film that was ostensibly one thing, which is in this case uh, a thriller or like a mystery suspense that incorporates really dark gritty realistic things now since then i've seen all kinds of movies like that you know uh-huh. i mentioned the history of violence already um i remember uh, a movie that you and i both love called uh, one false move um yeah, and just movie. and and movies like a simple plan where it deals with darker things and so Even upon red seeing- rock west Red Rock West, although even, even though that's that's more on the side of being a fun genre movie, right, right. But um, uh, Red Rock West is a great movie because even as lighthearted as it seems, sometimes whenever someone dies in Red Rock West, it's uh, Red Rock West. It's kind of there, there's kind of a gut like, yeah, you really feel it, you yeah, know? and uh, um, but that helps the movie. I mean, Dennis Hopper's character, for as over the top as he is, is really terrifying because yeah. you really feel the threat. Yeah, and he's and he's, but he's also a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but, go ahead. And so, so I feel like, uh, but the general's daughter, it's not really very. And I do like uh, James Woods in it. I think he's very good. Uh, I remember liking him too. Yeah. And uh, and he's only got like maybe I think three or, uh, three scenes. Um, and I will mention one thing that always bothered me about the film because I I didn't know who to ask. Uh-huh. James Woods was the and person. Uh-huh. You know, uh, cast member, cast member, cast member, and James Woods. Uh-huh. And I remember, I remember being like, "Well," and having, and then I watched the movie. And it's like, well, he's only in like three scenes and very memorable scenes, and he's very good. So uh, it makes sense that he would be the and person. But then I realized that the the credits were listed in alphabetical order, and he was the. It was Clarence Williams the third and James Woods, and I was like. Is he the and person because his name is last? I think it's a coincidence. I think he's the and person because the and is saved for here's the like special prestige guy we got to do a few scenes. And I I almost feel like, you know, if I was casting that, I might actually rethink his role or rethink who the and person's going to be <laughs> because now no one's going to know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, By the way, I decided that we're going to replace prestigious with prestige. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> uh, and that that was uh, that was in the first draft of the Prestige. Uh, <laughs> Michael Caine just being like, mm, "You need to be more prestige <laughs> with your stage presence." Um, but yeah, General's Daughters. It's it wasn't that good, but because it was the first, it was like the first instance I had of this. I was willing to excuse some of the less good things about it, and now I can just see the good things for what they are and just recognize that the film is 
two stars at best. But uh, so, David, what was I thinking? I don't know. Let's so. let's let's wrap up by talking about the movie that I mean, in the year nineteen ninety nine, the year that I can that I contend is the best movie, uh, the best movie year in history. In his okay, definitely the best movie year in my lifetime. Oh yeah. Uh, and also the first year that I had my own car, mm-hmm. um, it was the year that I started seeing new movies a lot. Yes, which now I've kind of gone back. Uh, like now yeah. I'm more like I was in high school, where I I don't go to the movies that often. I watch movies at home mostly. But anyway, that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. We can do an episode on why the hell that is that I don't go. Well, we did a whole episode on why I don't go to the movies, right? Yeah, with Danforth. Um, okay, so. In 1999, I was. Uh, it, it. I mean, it might be those that confluence of things, like me having a car, it being the greatest year in movies in my in my lifetime. Yeah, and uh, that's those things coming together might have made, might it really pushed me towards becoming. I mean, I was already into film for yeah. years at that point, but it really solidified it for me. What were you gonna say? Well, and also, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I don't. I don't. What time of year did this movie? We're gonna be talking about American Beauty, by the way. Um, I wanted to reveal it. Every time I try to reveal something, you're always just like, eh, just get to it. You're right. But anyway, right. Um, but uh, what time of year did this come out? Spring? Late spring, I think, right? Or was it a fall movie? I don't think it was fall. I am trying to think. Okay. For the life of me, I do not remember. But you know, you know what? It's kind of okay either way because... Um, I'm... I I left a school dance early and went to see it. Okay, all right. But I don't know if it was homecoming or prom. Or oh, okay. What I don't know. Well, I think I think that uh, you know I think it, I think it actually was late '99, and I and I saw it a bunch of times in 2000. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, anyway, I saw it five times in the theater. But the the point that I was uh, going to make is you're listing all these things, and one of the things is that it came about right when in our our senior year of high school. Uh-huh. So not only is it you've got a car, you know, maybe you have a job, but you're you're becoming more of an adult. But also you're in this this ma- this kind of a magical time when uh-huh. you're about to finish this thing that's the only thing you've ever known, and you're about to go and do this amazing, you know live this amazing adventure called life before you realize that you got to pay for insurance stuff. But like <laughs> it's, and I feel like that, that nostalgia of just that time in your life and you're going to see movies all the time probably does it. Not only does it probably contribute to our at the time love of American beauty, but it might also contribute to my viewing of 99 as one of the best movie years ever. Right, because I did see a whole lot of movies that. But year. and uh, from an objective point of view, yeah, those movies that came out in 1999, you can name them for an hour. Yeah, uh, they're they're great. There are there's just a a huge uh, a huge amount of them. But it being John Malkovich, Three Kings, uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley, The Insider, The Insider, Magnolia, uh, you know, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, Toy Story Two, um, Adam McGowan's film Felicia's Journey came hmm. out. I didn't know that was 99. Uh, the Limey, or was that 98? 99. That uh, was Limey, yep. Yeah. And the Straight Story, Sweet and Low Down, Bringing wow. Out the Dead. I never saw that. No. Anyway. Um, yeah, American Beauty. and But the thing is, it wasn't just us, th- those of us who were 17 and were graduating high school and had cars. Yeah. Uh, in my memory, 
everyone loved this movie. Like, everyone it got lo- yeah. great reviews. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes didn't exist back then. Yeah. That's, we're so old. I do feel kind of old. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Uh, I do remember reading like one critic who like was doing, he actually did a piece. This was late 99, early 2000. And it was uh, for, I don't know if it was the village voice or something, but he did a, a piece on why 99 was a great movie year mm. named all these things. Um, and, uh, he made a point of saying, uh, I, I'm not buying into the American beauty thing. And it was the first time I'd heard someone like first time I heard any critic yeah. not like American beauty. And I was like, what? Wait, when was this? This was that same year. It was that this year was during okay. it all. So I, even at the time he was saying, this is an amazing movie year. One of the best. Yes. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, and, uh, and I was just blown away. I was like, what? I've seen this movie. I've gone to see this movie more than once in yeah. the theater. It, it, it's very good. Yeah. It's, it's a transcendent experience. Yeah. And then I'm not sure exactly when, uh, but I think his complaint that it was just a compilation of cliches. Yeah. Uh, stuck with me. Yeah. Cause I would watch American Beauty again and, you know, from time to time and it would still be good. And then it seemed like there was just one time. Yeah. It didn't seem like a gradual thing. There was just one time when it clicked for me. Like, oh, that guy was right. There is not really an original thought in this film. I tell you what, what happened, and again, I don't even know how it started, but one element, I started to think of one element that bothered me, which is the character of Ricky Fitz. Which is Wes Bentley? Wes Bentley's character. I thought of him first... And then moved out from there. Because, you know, I since that year, because I saw it five times in the theater, and then never until, like, a year ago. Uh-huh. So, uh, so I, you know, I, I had remembered it as a good movie and all that. But then I went to film school, and I took writing classes, and I, and I realized the stuff that I responded to. And as we've discussed on this show, I tend to like characters that don't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. You know, even even characters that are smart and that we're rooting for and that uh, have things more figured out. I never like it when they have every single thing figured out and they are, for all intents and purposes, flawless. Mm -hmm. And so I think slowly but surely Ricky Fitz showed up in my mind as just like this guy, this character's put. And I think I got I got older and realized this character's 18. Uh What did you have figured out when you were 18? (laughs) Me, pretty much nothing. Uh, I thought I had it figured out that American Beauty was great, but I was wrong on that, too. <laughs> and so, like, so I think... I was still listening chiefly to punk rock. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. Um, but the... So I thought, like, oh, man, I like, this character is not really well written. And just the fact that he's got everything all worked out. And, you know, never mind the fact that I probably disagreed with a lot of the things that his character said philosophically. Just, just like, ugh. That's so easy to just like the author, the the writer just crammed everything that he believed into this character's mouth and then put no flaws to go with it so that clearly we have no choice but to love this guy. Mm -hmm. And then once I looked at that, then I started to just kind of spiral outward and realize, son of a bitch, every character is like this. They're They're not perfect, but they're whatever the writer wants them to be instead of him just letting them be who they were going to be. Um, well, you know what part did it for me when I watched it? Okay. Really, the part where Chris Cooper is looking out the out the window and 
he thinks that his son is going down on Kevin Spacey yeah, because yeah. of the because like of yeah. what he can and can't see and the the coincidence of what's yeah. happening. He finds himself and, in the midst of a French farce. That's what I was, I was like. What, is this Three's Company? What am I watching? <laughs> um, Mr. Furley is so upset. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that was what that was what really did it for me. And yeah. then there's the part that I think is. Almost like the centerpiece. It's one of the centerpieces of the of the Lester story. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he comes onto his wife, and then she's like stops him because he's gonna spill the beer yeah. on the couch. And it's like, and then he like throws a fit. And I was like, "What are you fucking thirteen years old? Yeah, it's okay to have a romantic moment or a sexy moment or yeah. a, a carefree moment with your wife without pouring beer on the fifteen hundred dollar couch. Yeah, you're a you- grown up. Set it on a coaster, take her to the bedroom, and go have sex." Also, you're going to have to put that beer down sooner or later anyway. <laughs> and honestly, when I first saw it, I don't know, maybe he's not. <laughs> but like, um, when I first saw it, I thought like, he's going to spill beer on that couch. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I, I thought right. that. I I and then too. she said, Lester, you're going to spill beer on the couch. I'm like, yes, yeah, I told you. Yeah, and then he throws a hissy fit. Yeah. And at the time, you're meant to, because... It's, it, 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 so reminded me, it so reminded me of me at 13 or 14. Like, yeah. Like, Mom, these are all just things, Mom. What's really important? We'll get to Fight Club in a moment. <laughs> um, but that's the thing is, like, and but you watch it and you think, and, and his hissy fit looks like, oh, he's just, he's raging against the, you know, hypocrisies of our time. I think I actually just described Howard Beale. Anyway, um... <laughs> But the thing is, he doesn't seem like he's throwing a hissy fit because Annette Benning is given such an unpleasant character to play <laughs> that you it's like, well, I don't want to be on her side. <laughs> and so you have no choice but to be on his. And it's just like, and don't get me wrong, his I think Kevin Spacey's performance is very good. I think Annette Benning does what she can with that role. Because <laughs> um, I remember a lot of, at the time, a lot yeah, of I people... Yeah, Annette Benning, national treasure, as far as I'm concerned. One of our greatest living actresses, act, actors or actresses. I haven't seen The Kids Are All Right. Neither have I. But you, there was a movie that I didn't like recently called Mother and Child. Okay. Uh, it, she is astoundingly great in it. Okay, good. I do I do enjoy her, and, and uh, I would recommend people going back and seeing some of her older work, specifically in uh, The Grifters and Bugsy. She's very good in both of those. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, and just... It is just such a... And, of course, it's it's gorgeous to look at. I mean, the cinematography is beautiful. I like, Hall. I like their use of music. I like a lot of things about it, but I mean that script is atrocious. <laughs> and you are you were a fan of Six Feet Under, is that correct? Um, which is the you know yeah Alan Ball yeah um, I no I, I I saw the first season of Six okay. Feet Under I liked it a lot I made it two or three episodes in the second season and and I and I quit. Did you quit on purpose or did you just? I quit on purpose. Okay. Although I wouldn't at the time, I was more apt to do that now i uh tend to stick I, I tend to view things like i would i i don't tend to I, there's only two movies that i've ever started in that finish there's batman and robin and michael Bay's transformers okay um and now i tend to view a tv season that way mm-hmm. like once i start watching it, i'm committing to the season uh yes i'm on board with you for that but at the, at the time i wasn't like that i would just quit after an episode so uh that's why i only saw the first few episodes of the second season okay um and from what uh, and like, friend of the show Jason Eakin, an occasional guest host. Um, I mean, Amer- American Beauty was his favorite movie of all time for for a while, and then of course, as we all do, he got older and got wiser. Um, in fact, he wised up, which is a song used in his favorite, current favorite film, which is Magnolia. Um, 
See how <laughs> clever I am there? I never liked that one. Um, when's the last time you watched Magnolia? Honestly, it's been a while. You might you might like it more now. Okay. Being being more of a fan of uh, P.T. Anderson as you are, um, you may you may like it. Just the the sheer audacity of that film. Um, but what I will say is, but it, it feels like someone. I feel like P.T. Anderson's career is like someone teaching themselves how to draw by starting out tracing their favorite artists. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like he makes his uh, his like Scorsese uh, movie with okay. with Sydney or Hard Eight, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Then he made a couple of uh, Robert Altman movies. You know, and then he learned how to make his own movie. But I think Magnolia is because yeah, there's definitely an Altman influence there. Um, but I think that is the transitional film. It's not just Scorsese, Altman, Altman, his own thing. It is Scorsese, Altman, Altman mixed with with his own thing. So Magnolia is the bridge between Boogie Nights and Punch Drunk Love. You're saying? I'd say so. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I should rewatch it. Um, but uh, and a lot of the things that you and I like about. Uh, there will be blood. You you will see in Magnolia just the fact that he's just gonna do what he thinks he should do. Mm-hmm. You know, which some would call self indulgent, but I'd say self indulgent in the best possible way. Um, well, I mean, self indulgent isn't necessarily a bad thing as long right. as the self you're indulging is interesting. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I will I will real quickly say that because uh, I mentioned I said that I would bring up Fight Club, but yeah, it's. The reason, because you mentioned you didn't like Fight Club, and we've talked about it before, but at the time I liked Fight Club because it was saying all the stuff that I was starting to think at age 17. Mm-hmm. And right down to, the, to the, the, the point where, you know, Kevin Spacey throwing a hissy fit and like, this is just stuff, and it's, you know, it's becoming mm-hmm. more important to you than living. Uh-huh. You know, that to me is very similar to a lot of the stuff that Tyler Durden says like when he like he leans in real close and he says the stuff you own ends up owning you <laughs> and then he then he leans back now of course the 17 year old you's like shit yeah this guy's got it worked out <laughs> you know and then uh but then you get older and you're like that's that's like Dr. Phil territory i mean that is <laughs> it is it is that kind of no shit advice where you're like uh, yeah, anyone, everyone knows that, right? Like, <laughs> a, an adult knows that, and and I'm not sure. Plus, hey, I like stuff. I don't think it makes me a worse person. Yeah, it's all about it's all about the stuff you like, right? I guess. I like I like I really don't care about what I like. I just want a lot of it. Is that okay? That's okay, right? <laughs> as long as I have more stuff, I feel like I'm a better person. <laughs> but I mean it seriously. Like I, you know, uh, I want a nicer. TV. No. I want you know. I want a nice hat to put on. You know. I know you do. <laughs> Does it like the fact that I am not content to just throw on a ratty old baseball cap makes me a worse person because I want a hat that looks okay? Well, David, as you know, I uh, I have a lot of DVDs as as you do. You have more than I do. Yes, I, I have considerably more than I do. Really, it's been a while since I've been to your place. But yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't really buy DVDs anymore. And I I don't really buy them that much, but they. It's always good for, you know, present season, um, whether it be Christmas or my birthday. Uh-huh. But, uh, and I remember thinking, like, is it just excessive? Because I remember somebody, one time I I, the, <laughs> I was adding a shelf, and then I thought, like, okay, this is a lot of shelves of movies here. And I thought, like, ah, oh, geez, what am I, it, maybe this is excessive. And then I realized that the reason that I have them is so that I can lend them to people. 
you know okay. um i don't i don't have them so that i can hoard them as you know i make a lot of recommendations to my friends and i wouldn't want to be like you should watch this go spend your own money and watch it based entirely on my own rec- on my recommendation uh-huh. i'm not sure if i want to do that i'd rather say like you should watch it and here just in case you wind up not liking it, at least you're not out any money there you go <laughs> um but no i don't think there's anything well, wrong with as bad as tyler durden this will yeah. blow your mind, yeah. man. <laughs> You're evangelizing. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's you know, it's, it's the nature of the beast. Um, <laughs> the beast being uh, Christianity. So, uh, yeah, it's... You're like, you're totally Christian about movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... Uh, so, I, I liked Fight Club. And of course, a lot of the... A lot of the... Fight Club's kind of meta in a lot of ways. Um, right. And it's very... Yeah. And it's very... It's very self-aware, which... You probably don't haven't haven't seen a lot of things like that when you were younger, um, and then you see a whole bunch of stuff and you realize, oh yeah, there's a much better way to do this. Uh-huh. Um, even that very year with being John Malkovich, uh-huh. but um, but yeah, so it's I think I think the thing that uh, can be summed up with all of these, I think a lot of it can be put down to youth, and I wonder how much of it in ten years from now will we look back and think. What was I thinking? There will be blood, really. You know, <laughs> I, I, don't, I think that one's gonna. Hold I think up. that one's gonna stick around for a while. But, uh, but yeah. So, I find myself wondering if I will like movies like uh, A History of Violence as much as I do. Huh. You know, um, but uh, because I, I, I loved it because it's like the way in which it incorporated sex and the way he approaches his his attitude to violence and all of that. I, I find myself wondering. At the time, it was like, oh, that's amazing. And I still love it, but I find myself wondering 10 years from now, it's just like, yeah, uh, duh. Yeah. Goes we we need to do an episode on, like, sex scenes. We do, I agree. But we need to have, like, a female guest in here, because you and me just talking about sex scenes is, it'd be, it'd be a little uncomfortable. For yes, me. by all means. Let's get a woman involved and then have her listen to two guys talk about sex scenes. No, we get uh, her perspective. Here, uh, like... If it's two guys, like two g- geeks, yeah, talking about sex scenes, it just sounds like, uh, you know, I've got a girlfriend in Canada, <laughs> you know, like. Now <laughs> um, we're back that, to Scott Pilgrim. It's always Scott Pilgrim. With yeah, you. that sort of thing. But um, because here's the thing: most sex scenes in movies are boring to me because they're not realistic. But then, yeah. realistic sex is also kind of boring to watch. I, and, my, uh, history of violence manages to uh to uh get right in the middle there yeah. and do sex that's realistic but also interesting because it's a part of the story and the character. Yeah, my my thing let's not do the episode now. Okay. Um this is just a, a little teaser. Yeah, yeah. Um stay tuned to uh I don't know, six months from now. <laughs> yeah. But uh but yeah, so I, I David, I'm very happy that you brought up this topic because it uh, gives you the opportunity to to think back on the film lover you were, mm-hmm. the film lover you are, and hopefully you recognize that sin- since you've changed, chances are you're going to change again. Um, maybe not quite as drastically, but your tastes well, are no, always... I molt every few that? years. Oh, absolutely. You shed your skin. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, you know, a person's taste is always changing, and so I think... For me, I try to keep that in mind every time I start to get a little arrogant. And I know I'm mm-hmm. always a little arrogant, but, uh, I mean, I have two podcasts. One <laughs> yeah, wasn't exactly. enough for my arrogance. Exactly. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, so try to keep that in mind and uh, use it as a humbling experience. Sorry, I just recorded an episode of More Than One Lesson, so I'm I'm in lesson giving mode right now. <laughs> so so yes, um, I felt like there was something I was going to say, but I don't know what it is. So let's blow past it. You can find us at battleshipretention.com or in iTunes. You can email us, david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension. Or you can follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or in iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review podcast, previously on at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. Now, David, I want to do this. Okay. Your most recent episode of Previously On, what kind of stuff did you cover? Well, how do you mean? Like, what uh, what, what television shows did you talk about? Um, I mean, I could get the list. Oh, you have the list. Okay. Okay, I got the list. I mean, what, what, you, what, you just want to know what shows we talked about? Because the, the format of the show is that it's, it's divided into three segments. Okay. We spend the first segment going sort of chronologically through the week, just discussing what we watch. Sometimes it'll, it's, you know, uh, Sean, who's a, past guests on the show when you were out of town mm-hmm. Jason and, and I talked to Sean um, sometimes it'll be things that only I've seen and I'll talk to him about it some things will be only he's seen he'll talk to me or it'll be shows that we both watch mm-hmm. and we'll discuss briefly just get through the week then we do TV news for a little bit sometimes it's only like a 10 minute segment sometimes it's half an hour depending okay. on how big the news is and then we uh, we pick one show every week or really we pick one show per season and the final segment is devoted to a sort of in-depth discussion of whatever the big show of the uh, that's currently on. Is. Mm-hmm. It's it's been Mad Men for a while, you know, since okay. since its premiere in July. Yeah. Um. And now this will be our last Mad Men, the one we do this weekend. And I'm okay. we're actually not sure what our next big show is going to be. But here <clears throat> we talked about Rubicon, Boardwalk Empire, Children's Hospital, Mad Men, The Amazing Race, Eastbound and Down, Bored to Death, How I Met Your Mother, Gossip Girl, Glee, Running Wild, uh, Nick Swartzen's Pretend Time, Parenthood, Modern Family, Thirty Rock, Community, and Project Runway. It Those is, are the shows we talked about in the our most recent episode. It astounds me how much TV you watch, and I don't say well, that I didn't in a judgmental watch way. Boardwalk but... Empire, Running Wild, Parenthood, Nick Swartzen's Pretend Time, or Community. I okay. watched the rest of those, though. Okay. Well, that's still... And I didn't even mention Caprica. I also watched Caprica. It's still immensely uh, more than I watch. I watch basically two shows, like, where I sit down and watch them. The rest of the time, I just watch it on the computer later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watch The Amazing Race. I'm on board with that now. And I watch Survivor. But How, um, how awesome was the uh, the sleds in the... In the man, last oh, episode. <laughs> it's a shame that the... Uh, well, we'll talk about that off air. But, uh, but it's... Uh, yeah, I just I well, want thanks thanks for doing that because it's no problem. I I, I want people to uh, I want people to find our other shows. You yeah, know? but and I so, mean the thing is what we said what Sean and I said when we were when we were on this on this podcast when mm-hmm. we got out of town is that I always thought Battleship Pretension was a bit of a niche show. Yeah, but previously on is a niche show. Like you have to be a big TV geek. Yeah. Try the uh, Christian film geek. All right, <laughs> right. it's uh, yeah, more than one lesson. Uh, we don't we I don't do a a, a weekly show, but I, I've done two episodes fairly recently. Uh, one is a self indulgently long episode about the career of Woody Allen, which I rather enjoyed. Okay, I'm glad glad to hear that. I mean, I'd rather enjoy the career of Woody Allen. <laughs> oh, indeed. Uh, no. Thank you. Yes, uh, and then uh, I just put an episode up uh, a few days ago uh, about the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. So, 
But uh, so right. yeah, go and go, go and seek those out. If you watch TV as much as David does, and even if you don't, and you want to know what's good, go and go to previously on. Yeah, and you want to know, uh, you know how Caprica has been since it returned from its uh, mid-season one hiatus. It hasn't been as good as it was. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you can listen to the show. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Oh, to also, this. oh, hang on. Yes. Uh, donate. We we would love it if you donate. Indeed. Um, uh, you can support the show by a single one-time donation or a subscription donation. You know how that works. Yeah. Also, December 4th, we're on the books, Battleship Retention Live number four. We're not announcing any guests yet. Right. We got some, we got some people. Yeah. Uh, we have, we have one definite yes. We won't say that one yet. Um, yeah. and then but there our, are, our headliner, it's, it's an almost definite yes, and it will be very exciting for you yeah, and for it, us. Yeah. It's a, um, people. All, all past guests of the show coming out, and ask anyone who's been to one of our first three. They're a blast. Um, there's free beer. You, you get to you get to hang out with me and Tyler. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you get to be in the room with us as we <laughs> do something. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, we're not exactly men of the people here. <laughs> exactly, we're, we're elitists. So that's all the right. Spirit. We've been going way too long. Indeed. All right. So everybody, uh, David, this is a great topic. I thought so too. So. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening and thanks for bearing with us for the first 25 minutes, and. Uh, <laughs> We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.